It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. Listen in as they discuss the 1991 film Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Again, ladies, gentlemen, those in between and unaffiliated, welcome to the Jimmy Cameron retrospective again. And tonight's piece, we will be talking about Terminator 2. How are you doing today, sir? Uh, I was trying to think of some sort of Terminator 2 related joke, but I couldn't think of one. Yeah, I can't think of a quip that Arnie says in this, so uh, I'll just say what I said to you before. I feel stale. There you go. Um, you could say you're full of ale. No, not <laughs> not full of wine. There you you go. ever had ale? Uh, yeah, yeah, plenty of times. But um, yeah, talking about T2, here we go. Returning to the Terminator franchise after our first entry. And uh, this is a big one. I think this is, along with Aliens, this might be the defining uh, James Cameron movie that when people think of James Cameron, they think of yeah, T2. Have we reached Pete Cameron? Is this, is this it? Have we finally reached the top? Yeah, that's that's what the discussion will uh, figure out, at least for the two of us. Yeah, no, exactly. So, uh, yeah, sit back, everybody, and um, I don't know if this will be an intellectually stimulating conversation, but we'll certainly try. Explosions, so. explosions are cool. Hey, gunfights are cool. Gunfights are cool. <laughs> uh, with treads, treads are cool. Tank treads are really cool. Liquid metal is so awesome. The old Terminator yeah. sucks because of no liquid metal. Are you reading reviews from 1991? No, it's just me. Uh, yeah, just I don't know what I'm playing. What role this is? <laughs> the naysayer. Uh, the 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 uh, the pundit. There we go. The pundit. That's what you are. Some person from Fox News. I guess we should start with the old, uh, the classic beginning. Uh, when did you see this one? Is this something you've seen quite a bit, or? A recent uh, viewing for this podcast. Tell me why you're here. So, <laughs> probably, again, maybe 2010, 2011, after I've seen Terminator, I think my mother buys my dad a... Or maybe it was dad. or some Somehow, in our possession, we got uh, a double-feature DVD of Terminator 2, uh, the theatrical version, now that I think about it, and right. Total Recall. And so I believe my parents let me watch Terminator 2, but they were like, you can't watch Terminator or uh, Total Recall because it's rated R. Uh, eventually, <laughs> I believe in 2013, I finally watched it. Uh, yeah, I think it was right before that reboot came out. Or no, wait. No, it was 2011. That's right. Sorry. So I watched Total Recall once. I've only seen it once. Uh, yeah, back in yeah 2011. 
Uh, oh, wow. But I did watch multiple times uh, Terminator 2 uh, on DVD, which was nice. So nice. I am very more, much more familiar with it, and it was also less scary than Terminator 1 or Aliens. Uh, I could get through it without being scared. Yeah, and that has always been um, a point of difference, and one of the reasons that I've I maybe rewatched the first one more is I just tend to prefer horror movies rather than kind of big bombastic action movies. Um, I don't know when I saw this one. It, it was probably not long after I saw the first one. Uh, but, yeah, I've seen this one quite a bit less than that, that first one. Um, but, but not because I don't not because I don't like it or anything. It's just I don't reach for it nearly as often. Will you reach for it after this? Maybe not immediately after this, but will you go back to it regularly? Uh, probably not. Probably not. It'll probably be the same, or I'll probably revisit the first one more, just because it's a little bit more up my alley. But I did, um, it had been a good number of years since I watched this last. I think I went through all the Terminator movies back in 2017, so I think that was the last time I watched this. Um, and my opinions haven't changed. I still think it's a just a great movie. And for kind of a more bulkier kind of blown up version of the the first terminator i think Cameron does a fantastic job expanding it out is this like i stated with aliens <laughs> much to eric's ire is this a remake of terminator one hmm i feel like this one has elements of it but it expands out in so many different ways that it feels a little bit more just like a a typical sequel I don't know if it structurally feels like a remake in the same way that that Aliens vs. Alien just felt like they took the complete backbone of that first script and just kind of bulked it up. This one definitely has different shades with the whole uh, kind of father figure element with Arnie and the Sarah Connor being locked up in the insane asylum stuff. Or I guess not insane asylum, that's it's not the, uh, Mental hospital. the Victorian era. There you go. <laughs> yeah, and then of course trying to destroy the... Uh, kind of building box of Skynet. So I feel like it's got a lot of different stuff going on here. Yeah, that first movie was more a chase, uh, like, you know, like a slasher chase film, almost. Again, yeah, with certainly a horror film. Um, this has some horror in it, if you're a parent. <laughs> when it comes to Los Angeles being nuked, also, I mm. cannot believe that... Um, they, they mention how many people are on Earth by this point, by the way, which is 3 billion. Two, I don't even want to think about that. That's kind of crazy and kind of makes my brain hurt and or just makes me feel really bad for the human race at, at this moment of time, at the time of recording. And it makes me further annoyed at all the people who are like, overpopulation is an extremist view. We're not overpopulated. There's room for even more humans. I think those people are just so delusional. It's crazy. But, but anyway, that's that's getting off topic. Oh golly! Oh, golly. <laughs> the egos. So oh no! I'm looking at it right now. Okay, as of right now of this recording at 20:35 hours, we have seven billion nine hundred seventy-eight million seven hundred one uh, thousand five hundred fifty-nine sixty-two people on Earth today. Yeah, the rate of acceleration from jumping from 3 billion to... I mean, it's incredible. And the people who don't see that as a problem, I just don't understand what the hell 
Sheesh, man. That's... I'd like a. I'd like an explanation how that isn't a problem. That's <laughs> insane. Just again, yeah. Sorry, I just having those numbers in there. Just like you know, Skynet kills three billion. Maybe they made the right choice. No, 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 no. I'm <laughs> sorry. No, 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 no. Skynet was right all along. Hey, let's save that for the end. Yeah. <laughs> Skynet was right all along. Oh, but um, I'm just because I'm watching this this opening here. Uh, th this right off the bat, I think, sets a, a great tone for the movie, and it really establishes how much the technology has just exploded since that first movie, and their budget. <laughs> That's yeah, no, the he, like I said, with the potential, like, oh, this might be kind of a remake. Again, I love the low budget aspect of that first film. I don't know if I made mention of that when we did our common initial uh, speakeasy of that, but I like yeah. how low budget it was and felt. This, yeah, very much feels the opposite, where it went big, yep, but still at least followed the rules of the first one. Uh, albeit it, it did add some stuff, but it still followed most of what was set in the first one, except it obviously breaks time travel, but, oh, as of this film, it breaks time travel. And that's yeah. where, I'll, where I'll leave it with that. <laughs> Oh, you don't want to get into that, or or does that relate to the sequels? Uh, because sequels don't exist. <laughs> hmm. Uh, and I don't mean that as like a fan who discounts, uh, or discounts those sequels. I'm just saying, like, as of this movie, those sequels yeah. don't exist. Again, like I was saying, even though you brought up good points about Terminator with Dar Terminator Dark Fate being like, you know, why, why is it just with a woman? Uh, well. My friend, and I kept thinking of that, by the way, today, because, you know, we were going to do this tonight. And, again, I forgot that Skynet systems only go back so far. So they didn't know where, like, Sarah Connor's, like, mother or ancestors were. They mm. just, they, all they had in their database, um, because it was fragmented from the blast, was, like, the location and or, like, the year of around when Sarah Connor was born. So that's why that first movie exists, and they're targeting yeah. Sarah just because they have data that uh, is far reaching back as 1980. So that's why I said only that Terminator can only be made in 1980. And it can also be made in 1991. <laughs> or is it 1990? Uh, 91, I think. 91, thank you. Okay. I don't know if actually if it takes place in 91. I'm not sure. I'd like to think it does, but that's just me. By the way, uh, just because just I finished that really cool uh, opening... I also think it's great just the uh, like the big explosion of fire that we see Arnold Schwarzenegger's name in front of. I think that's just a great visual. Oh man, the haunting image there is obviously you'll 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 be seeing it shortly, but of course when um, the face comes towards the screen, it's great. <laughs> yeah, and where to start with a movie like this? Because again, this is this is one of those really big cultural hits that like everybody's seen, and I feel like everyone's talked about to some some degree oh yeah no i think everybody has an opinion of this I, it's not as i'm not gonna say well remembered i don't know if it's as hmm is it as memorable as aliens because like i said in that commentary aliens uh some people some part of the population can just play it in their mind just because yeah. of how many times they've seen it i wonder if that's the same case with this film yeah i don't know i i think i just am in a different boat than a lot of people who just love really big action movies like for some people that's their thing they love the big blockbusters they love these kind of movies uh, that's just not my the, the boat that i'm in so 
So for me, I don't have that with this, but I wonder for if for those people, this is one of those like all time great movies that they put in their like top ten and yeah, watch once a year type of thing. <laughs> yeah, did it, wasn't this come out Christmas? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm not sure when this one came out. Um, let's start with Jimmy. How about that? Let's start with like from the beginning of of where did um, what's what's Jim's uh reasoning for making a sequel? Well, okay. Okay, hang on a second. Um, I have with me, because of my Mondo box, box art, excuse me, uh, it came with a little booklet, like only, I don't know, six pages and whatnot, so not <laughs> much stuff. Um, but I have with me here um, some a quote, potentially, from Jim himself. Mm. Let's see. Ending as it did with a pregnant woman driving off in a Jeep into the Mexican desert to prepare herself and her soon-to-be-born child future known only to her the Terminator more than most films seemed not to suggest a sequel but to demand it I guess that's maybe not a quote from Jim Cameron but mm. even still um, so I didn't do much research uh, behind the scenes for this film for like why James Cameron made this film again um, is this like a safe film for him I, I don't know if production was troubled like in the abyss but it's certainly not as gargantuan and you know disastrous huh. as the abyss was uh when it came to production wise yeah that's certainly true yeah um and i didn't do a, a huge amount of research either um I, I know a little bit about the behind the scenes which i could go into. unprofessional we are <laughs> yeah um but i'll, I'll say uh because the ter- the original terminator was such a surprise hit at the time and Cameron was already kind of wrapped up with commitments with uh, Aliens. And kind of during the production of Aliens, he was starting to work on The Abyss and started getting passionate about that. Um, so I think he'd always intended to f- follow up the huge success of The Terminator. It just took him a while because he had other big commitments to work on. I see. And there was also an issue where um, when Cameron sold the rights initially, it got wrapped up with this guy because they were working with kind of a low-budget studio. And whoever the other guy was who got partial ownership of the rights, uh, James Cameron and Arnold Schwarzenegger both had, like, huge personal issues with the guy. Like, they almost got into a fight during the kind of editing phase of the movie. Like a physical fight. <laughs> so, Oh, boy. Okay, then. Yeah, so for, for all the while while Cameron was working on The Abyss and Aliens... Apparently, Arnold Schwarzenegger kept trying to get the sequel going, but he was like, I'm not working with that one guy, so I need to find someone who can buy the rights for me so I can make this. And he worked with Kuroko Pictures on uh, Red Heat, this movie he made with, uh, I think it's Jim Belushi? I think it's not a good movie. I I saw it many, many years ago, back in the VHS days, and I really don't remember it anymore. But he ha- he had a good experience working with the studio, and so he got them to step in and buy the rights for Terminator from that other guy. So that's how that got done, I think, in 1990 or maybe 89. And so, yeah, and almost immediately after The Abyss was done, Cameron started working on this now that the door was kind of open for him. So so that's the extent of my research that I did <laughs> for this one. <laughs> that's fair. Thank you for, for that. Uh, more information available on the line and <laughs> more on... Uh, DVD, Blu-ray extras that have interviews with James Cameron. 
maybe I will watch them and we will insert this after the fact. I don't know. <laughs> sure. um, so, where do we begin? Um, I'm not going to do a story synopsis because that will just take forever. <laughs> and we're not doing yeah. a scene by scene because that's not what we're doing here. I guess a place that we could begin is what are your thoughts on the the kind of genre switch? Like, do you find it jarring? Do you think it works well for the the script here or for the franchise in general like well what do you think about that i think that's a good question uh james cameron is known for his genre switching <laughs> yeah. uh this is you know this is the fourth film director directed film of his um and it's much more there's a lot more emphasis on the action than and like, there's a smaller cast as well i'd say than the abyss and aliens mm. um not as not as small as Terminator 1, but still, I'm not going to say small enough, but smaller. So, in a way, he's kind of going back to his roots, but with a budget this time and yeah. a name behind him. And again, it's very interesting that he's working with um, like a low-budget studio and yet making you know an insane blockbuster. <laughs> this bombastic action sequel but again if this is the if he's going by aliens of course he's going to actionize his sequel um of his own franchise by the way Um, yeah oh and this time uh no harlan edison ellison dang it um uh harlan ellison uh no harlan ellison to come in and be like hey you're stealing my idea yeah just because you mentioned about the kind of the budget thing um I didn't do any research on this. This is just something that I've heard many times repeated over the years. So I'm hoping that it's true. <laughs> but I heard that when this film came out, uh, it was the most expensive movie ever made up to this point. It was uh, estimated from like 95 to $100 million budget. And for Croco Pictures, I mean, yeah, they weren't making anything near that by a long shot. So they're, they're, their studio, they were really kind of putting their whole kind of foundations on the line for this thing like if this was a big bust i think their studio would just collapsed so so it's bold of them really bold <laughs> put up that kind of money and it definitely definitely paid off i think after this i don't think they actually even lasted that much longer but they, they started trying to make some bigger kind of blockbuster movies and uh this is this is kind of funny to think but this same year they put this out they also put out the roger corman uh, and Kuroko kind of co-production release of The Punisher with Dolph Lundgren. Oh, yes. It actually came out like three months before this. So a weird thing for that studio to put out these two movies in the same year. Yes. Just dramatically different uh, production qualities. Interesting. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but I'll just say for me, um, I do think that the genre switch ended up working a lot better than than it, than it had any right to like most movies can't make that switch as smoothly as this one does but i do think that um some of the humor choices just feel kind of dated and and maybe cameron leaned a little bit too far with that stuff i don't know all right humor choices such as um well i guess i guess partially maybe it comes from Arnold schwarzenegger like his career had kind of taken more of that turn with the one-liners and stuff the corny oh i see okay. corny lines so they feed into that. Even like his uh, 
the first scene where we see him get like his motorcycle and his glasses and they play bad to the bone I was like ah oh, this feels like it's especially because of that point I think we were still supposed to think that Arnold was the, the the Terminator like there's kind of that reveal later when it's like oh no which one's gonna be the bad guy Arnold or the other guy okay no you make a point <laughs> yeah so I think the bad to the bone was maybe just a, a kind of a corny choice and kind of a bad choice but uh, there's like the hasta la vista baby bit. I don't know. Some of that stuff just feels like it's there to make the audience laugh. And for me, I'm kind of like, ah, eh, this doesn't feel quite right to me. But <laughs> I don't know if that was in the script or if Arnold and J James talked about it. Like, you know, he ad libbed it. Well, no, because it was set up. So, like, it was going to happen. I don't know if. Um... What's his face? John Connor, uh, whatever his <laughs> actor's name is. Furlong, Edward Furlong. I don't know yeah. if they talked about that or not. Just again, giving him the lingo and whatnot. God, that's a whole other thing. But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I is is he playing to the audience? Like, is he um, making it a little more generalized and and making it more accessible to say like the teens? Yeah, I definitely feel like he is, yeah. Maybe because of uh, the Abyss. Like, maybe that was intentional because mm. nobody understood the Abyss, or at least, like, may like again, course correction, where, like, he didn't go far enough with the weird surrealism with the Abyss. I mean, okay, there wasn't really surrealism, but, like, if you wanted to make it, like, high fantasy and or, like, high concept, he should have gone further than just that, but, like... Um, the, instead, here he makes it a little more generalized, and you take away kind of the, the the fear factor with the Terminator by again, yeah, playing bad to the bone initially. Uh, even though beyond that, like I can separate myself, I can suspend my disbelief of this movie existing and still watch Terminator One without knowing. Well, okay, kind of yeah, hard, but I could still appreciate the, how like scary he is in the first one yeah absolutely and you also maybe have to understand that that sting of music being played in that point might be a tell for the audience to say like this isn't the same guy from the first one mm -hmm. yeah and they, they, they do the glasses joke he seems like oh no he's gonna kill that guy he, he took his gun he's gonna kill him but all he wants is his glasses like that kind of feels like a little a little trigger for the audience that he uh yeah maybe isn't as dark as that previous terminator yeah because the only reason the previous terminator wore glasses is because he had to remove his eye or its eye excuse me hmm. like the uh, organic eyeball would have become damaged and so he had to remove it and thus that's why he had sunglasses there is a reason why uh he was dressed like that in the first film just because, you know, he came upon Bill Paxton and his gang. And he found, yep. he was just like, I need your clothes. And so he you know, took the clothes. And then naturally, as he um, continued on um, and got battled at damage, excuse me, uh, he again started, you know, putting on more attire to reflect it. So whereas this just immediately is like, okay, here, give him sunglasses because it looks cool. And it does look cool. But again, I understand you're questioning the logic of like why, why give him that immediately like why would the terminator do that to blend in i guess more yeah yeah i mean does does he blend in more with those shades on at night no and in, in the the kind of the lo leather outfit going on yeah he stands out 
I mean, it still looks really cool though. But yes. again, you're you are right that does does it make sense? So yeah, it's I have I have two minds about this where I'm suckered in uh, as you know not even, like you're saying I'm being like you know uh, a simpleton and being like oh it looks cool, but then again I also <laughs> understand your reasoning. So you, I think you, you're right. Yeah, and I think overall once they do do the reveal and we find out that yeah this is a softer Terminator, I think uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger actually delivers quite a quite a nuanced performance for him with his kind of growing relationship with John. I think all that stuff is played really well as the movie goes on. That's, yeah, no, that's, it's so interesting what audiences and what kids and adults back in, you know, between 84 and 91 were thinking and what fantasies they had about what the second one would be. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean it. Like, I have no idea what, like, their, their head cannons were. Of like, oh, it's going to be like this. Like, are you certain about that? Like, will it be like this? Yeah, I can say this. Um, the Red Letter Media crew did a commentary track for this, or for the, the first Terminator, many, many years ago. It was like 2013 or 2014. Um, and Rich Evans, I remember saying, I remember him saying that um, he saw Terminator doing its initial, th initial theatrical run. Fuck, I'm speaking all over the place here. And he, uh, he loved it. And when this one came out, he said that he it took him a few watches before he could actually accept it because he was like, he found it difficult to accept Arnold as a good guy now because he felt like they ruined the franchise at the time, making him a good guy. So so maybe there was other folks who felt like that too. Like this is more like a like a blockbuster, just a crowd pleasing uh, kind of betrayal of the more kind of low budget horror roots of the original. Yeah, no, I I think. I mean, it's no different than what people say of Empire Strikes Back. We'll get to that one eventually, but like, <laughs> just you know, the initial people didn't like it, and then over time, people came to really like it. So, is this the last Jedi? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> definitely not. Um, uh, maybe in ter terms of like budget and scope, potentially, but um, sorry, that's neither here nor there. Um. It's also nice to go back to once again a time of like 1991 or 90s, and just I don't know. I, I like how everything looks. Yep, looks really clean and sleek. So we already talked about one of the big uh, centerpieces of the previous film with Arnold. Ah yes. Maybe we should talk about uh, Linda Hamilton. Let's go. What they do with her in this one. I guess I'll have more to say about Arnold, but I'll save that for later. Um, as we get more sure. into that. Um, so yes, Miss Linda Hamilton returns, uh, this time playing, well, this time playing, uh, this time playing a different, probably what people didn't expect for, mm -hmm. uh, Sarah Connor. And that is, she's locked up in a mental hospital. <laughs> yep. And she's gone kind of Rambo-ish. She's, she's really bulked up and apparently she was like a, a bit of a terrorist and... <laughs> Yeah, she's she's turned to a complete badass. She's no longer the soft, just kind of a she a, a waiter in that first one. Yes. Yeah, now she's like a hardened criminal kind of thing, and a deadbeat mom in a way too, since she's her kid's kind of off doing his own thing, and he thinks his mom's crazy, like he doesn't even believe her. So yeah, definitely a very interesting and depressing uh, turn to see where her character's gone. Do you think there was some commentary, social commentary on the mental health system at the time? Could be. Could be. Yeah. 
Probably not. Maybe like the treatment of prisoners in there with how like um, some of the uh, the guards handle her and you know her. I guess psychiatrist handles her. Again, returning from the first film. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a almost a comment in like pop psych psychology. It's like here's this guy. He he seems like he's more like a showman. Like he's preparing to like go to the talk show circuit, and like Sarah Connor is going to be like his big case that kind of showcases i get that vibe just the way he like plays up to the camera all that stuff golly yeah no kind of reminds me of that um part in dark knight returns oh yeah <laughs> just with uh the the guy who like supposedly cured the joker and they go on like the <laughs> david letterman show and <laughs> murders everybody after that a joker i mean so yeah that's, that's great <laughs> um that stuff works uh yeah you i guess yeah i mean that was 86 so i mean it's a few years afterwards but if that was seriously happening where like they had shrinks come on with like uh, people cured of their you know mental disease at, at the time that's kind of whack <laughs> thinking about that i never really thought of that yeah and i'll say uh, i think i said in our first discussion like oh i don't get why the franchise kind of latched onto this character why does he keep returning I get the sense in this one it was more just kind of Cameron like picking up elements he could focus on. And bringing back this guy was actually a great choice for this movie. I think he's, uh, he just has a really good, good just kind of smug attitude about him. Oh, he does. And he feels like he has a real intimacy with Sarah Connor. I think all that stuff works. Like he, yeah, I just, I just think he excels in this, this role as compared to, uh, that first one or his just kind of cameo in the third one. Which I think is what soured me uh, to him a little bit, just that cameo. That's fair. So again, try to keep uh, open slash close yeah. mind on. <laughs> close mind in that we're only talking about like two and the first one. And yeah. uh, nothing has nothing exists after this one. Um, just in this case, it does. I'm just saying like for purposes of this review, <laughs> we're only like thinking of the first two. Anyway, sorry. Uh, unless anything prevalent from those other what later ones like comes up of like mm. oh but they did this better it's like okay <laughs> of course they probably did because this one existed first <laughs> no but um i did want to say for linda hamilton as well i feel like her level of performance i've never seen her this good before in anything like um yeah she just feels like she's a much stronger actor than she was in uh 84 um i, I know for in between this and Terminator, she was doing uh, that TV show. Uh, what's it called? Was it Beauty and the Beast? Is that, Beauty and the Beast, yeah, with Ron Perlman. <laughs> yeah. So maybe being on that show all that time gave her a lot more experience. But yeah, I didn't get that much from her in Terminator. I thought she was, was like solid. And I thought she was actually pretty bad in Children of the Corn, which came out, I think, the same year. So just to see her leap to this, I, I feel like it's just like, yeah, wow. Definitely a big improvement. Yeah, they they probably had long talks, her and James Cameron, I think, of this. Um, and, well, yeah, no, it is interesting that they basically made her the Terminator. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's true. She became the very thing she hated the most. Yeah, which they have a very powerful scene of that later in the movie. Yeah, that that scene is, is something else. But, um, uh, yeah, no, I... <laughs> They give her lots to do. She does really give a good performance, especially like I think showing many different emotions as well, like from when mm -hmm. she's first in the hospital to when she's trying to, you know, 
fake being seen again and then the mm. doctor seeing right through it or the psychiatrist seeing right through it to being utterly terrified of when the Terminator steps out of the or the T-800 steps out of the elevator as she's escaping that's yeah. such a great shot yeah no that is great it's just like and her her face of like absolute terror is it, it works and she sells uh, me on that or that video when they show like when she first came in and she was just like screaming at them all, just going crazy. I thought that was a really intense, uh, intense little bit of acting there. Honestly, I wonder if, like, if Kyle Reese had survived. I mean, oh. well, the movie would have been so different. But I wonder if she would have been as um, steadfast and or strong will. Well, not, okay, she would have been strong willed. I get that, but like. If she would have ended up in a mental hospital again. <laughs> yeah, maybe would have had someone there to, like, guide her and yeah, keep her from doing super uh, reckless actions. But <laughs> Yeah, because, like, obviously the end of that first one spooked the heck out of her. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't know anything about, you know, the future other than, like, you know, what Kyle told her and you know, the experience from the Terminator. So you kind of do have to watch the first one to watch this one i'd say yeah because it just man it justifies but it, it certainly makes you understand where sarah connor's coming from i like some of the exposition dumps that they give like the offhanded comments of like she was you know in and around like south america fighting with people he she would shake up to anybody just for uh learning skills basically yep which i'm like okay that's something else yeah, and a bit of companionship as she's yeah training towards this future. I mean, I guess there's no point in developing real companionship because she knows how it all is going to end up. Pretty much, and she already had her kids, so... Yeah. Um, but I was going to ask, uh, since you watched the extended cut, you saw a scene that I didn't get to see this time with uh, Kyle Reese. Yes, one Kyle Reese. Yeah, what was that scene like? It's been many years since I've seen it. Uh, It's nice. Uh, I really do enjoy it, and again, people should realize that either is it a hallucination or is it a dream? I think it's a dream. Like, I think mm. it makes sense it's a dream because she wakes up uh, from it afterwards. Certainly how it ends. I liked how it was shot. Um, did he... He said... Um, what? What is it? He said, uh, your future is not is not yet determined or whatever it was. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> whatever John says uh, when they're in the desert uh, after they see the no fate inscribed on the picnic table with the knife. Oh, yeah. yeah I think it's, yeah, your future isn't determined. No fate will we make for ourselves. And Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, really good, really good line. But I don't recall Reese saying that in the first film. No, I definitely don't remember that either. Must have okay. happened in between, uh, in between shots. He said it is. That was like his pillow talk. He just heard saying that. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah, that's probably what he said. But yeah, it, he says it in the dream, and then John says it later on. So it's obviously a thing that Cameron or uh, the other writer thought of after the facts, and they <laughs> gave it to him. Which, for like you said, it probably happened to him. You could maybe make a joke that it happened you know, like you said between like small talk of them it's <laughs> like oh yeah john says this like in the future so yeah i mean i think you said that this was when michael bean looked his most handsome 
Oh, I don't know. Was he looking pretty hot in this one? Should I? Um, I feel. I wish I would have seen that scene. Maybe, but I think. I don't know. I thought I thought you said that in the first one of like as we keep going, we see Michael Bean in these films. Um, he becomes a lot more hotter or whatever. Yeah, I think I was talking about aliens. I, I think he's at like his peak, just unbelievably hot in aliens. It's okay. Like, yeah, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Um, <laughs> but geez. Um, no, yeah, I think it, it, I liked. I didn't realize this at first, but. As they as he leaves the room and she you know follows, mm-hmm. her clothes like her inmate clothes become a bridal gr- g- gown. Oh wow! Or, or something like that, a, br- a bridal dress or something it becomes a dress. And I'm like, is this are they married, or what's going on here? Yeah, that that is interesting. Hmm. I didn't realize that. And then obviously she exits out of the building and we get that wonderful haunting scene uh it's the first one of the second one the second one's the way more haunting but the first you know scene of the, the playground and her screaming at the kids to run away and we see like you know a giant light in the sky and, and then she wakes up oh you know as you're talking i'm i maybe i'm i'm tempted to put my dvd in you should so i can watch that version just do it. Just do it. Why not? What's stopping you? You're stopping yourself yeah. from doing it. I guess I will. But yeah, I'm going to go to that scene because, yeah, wedding dress. That sounds interesting. I think it was, but it... I don't know. You Take a look for yourself. Maybe I'm wrong on that. It's a white dress, though. Sure. Yeah, and I didn't remember that there was a, an earlier scene of her going to the uh, the playground. Oh, wow. It's about 20 minutes longer. That's That's crazy. Hmm. Did not remember that there was... So I guess there was a lot of differences then. Did you watch the theatrical cut as well, or just... Uh... I'm watching it now. Well, okay, I have it on right now, excuse me. But, <laughs> yeah, I still... It was weird, like... Was the director's cut I was watching as a teenager, or was it the theatrical cut? Yeah, for me, because um, I had the extreme edition, I don't remember if, if I had the theatrical cut, but this would have been the cut that I'd seen more. Um, I didn't... Yeah, I think I'd only would have only seen the theatrical cut on like TV and stuff. Uh, yeah, it doesn't look like this one has a theatrical cut. Yeah, hmm. interesting. Another one of those releases, just like Underworld. Why do they do that? Just put both editions on there. How hard is that? <laughs> Data, I guess. Yeah, they could put like an unrestored version. That's fine. It's it's like uh, oh, just like we talked about in Underworld again, Ghosts in the Shell at uh, 2.0. Put as an extra the original one. I wish. Actually, same with uh, Perfect Blue, at least in my Steelbook case edition. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they. Oh, that. Wow, that was weird. That was really weird. Oh, but um, yeah. No, I. I just saw that scene. Yeah. No, that's it. Would, like some sort of white blouse, or a white dress. Maybe a blouse. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, yeah. I don't know my stuff. I don't know my fashion and/or clothing uh, terminology. I'm sorry. Yeah, it almost looks like a nightgown. Like maybe she was fantasizing that she wasn't like a prisoner here. That she was just yeah, kind of relaxing. But anyway, yeah, that's uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff with Sarah Connor, and we'll definitely talk about some more of that as we uh, as we get on. But I think we should also maybe move towards the old John Connor next. The other big uh, big component of this movie. He turned out the way one would expect. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. A quippy kind of asshole. Yeah, 90s kid with, yeah, mom issues and, yeah, not fitting in well with society. Either likes 
grunge or hard rock, uh, a la uh, Aerosmith, maybe not them, and or uh, uh, Guns N' Roses, maybe Motley Crue. I was going to say he's probably a Nirvana fan. No, because Nirvana and uh, Guns N' Roses are completely different. <laughs> oh, no, I'm saying he's probably more in that vein than yeah, the Guns N' Roses. But he was playing Guns N' Roses like on his way on on his dirt bike on the way to the mall. Oh, was he? Oh, interesting. I don't remember that. Yeah, he's playing. You made me. You, you may be right. That was the tie. One of the tie-in songs to the movie. Oh, cool. That's interesting. That's why I mean, like, it's a little more generalized. Whereas grunge was not. Grunge has only been like generalized in the past like decade. I mean, for Pit Six, the Batman finally maybe not the last decade, but yeah, it's been definitely longer. The Batman <laughs> finally used like something. Uh, in the way by by Nirvana for pit sakes, um, which is cool, which works for that film. I'm saying, but like, you know, yep. pop culture wise, everybody was thinking of like grunge was the punk at the time, even though yeah. Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue were like also punks, but they were pop culture punks at that point, like in the pop culture. Excuse me. Yeah, that's more why I assume that John Connor would be yeah more of a Nirvana guy because he he seems like a counterculture kid. Type of guy and his little friend, his little nerd friend. It seems the you also like they wouldn't be the the more typical kids. Not exactly because okay, they're rebels, but they're mainstream rebels. Like grunge, Johnny would be the perfect person to tell me this, but like grunge was like counterculture, even more so than like because Guns and Roses and. And Motley Crue, like, yeah, they may be counterculture, but they're still, like, part of the mainstream. Yes. I'd say. Whereas, like, Grunge literally was trying to be against the mainstream. And all their songs, like, they were the new type of punks. And for yeah, Pit's sakes, they were going to beat them out. Like, Grunge pretty much, like, snuffed them all out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. John Connor seems like uh, very much a punk kid. There you go. So, I mean, he's going around committing crimes and... <laughs> I mean, with the, like one of the first things we see of him in this movie is him trying to scam a, trying to take it out of the consumers and their credit cards. You know, he, he's 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 ha he's a hacker, <laughs> hacking against the machine, man. There you go. Which I assume came from his mom. Yeah, he said his mom taught him. Yep, that's how they would get money on the road. Oh, oh, you're saying the credit card came from like yeah. his foster mom? Yeah, that's oh. what I thought too. I was like, what an asshole this kid is. Oh yeah, 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 yeah right. Either that or I thought he just, like, stole money from the bank. <laughs> well, I... Yeah, no, I guess, yeah, you could, yeah, just... I was assuming that he had to hack into some sort of, uh... Someone's account, though, so... Yeah. So maybe he didn't but, steal his foster mom's credit card, which... Did you recognize his foster mom? No, uh, no, I, I don't know who she is. Who is she? I'm kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> okay, I figured you would. <laughs> Yeah, Jeanette Goldstein, if, if my memory serves me right from the Aliens discussion. Yeah, returned once again, and her her husband looked familiar too, but I did not look him up. Maybe I'll look him up now. Did you recognize him? I did, and either it's because of, you know, watching T2 as a teenager, or from, again, like, retroactively I've seen him from somewhere else. Was he one of the scavengers or salvagers in the beginning of Aliens? Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm looking for him right now. I mean, on the one that like uh, takes in Ripley's lifeboat. Hmm. Um. Let me see. Seen RoboCop? Probably not. Yeah, I'm trying to scroll down to like the '90s where maybe I'd recognize him more. Gotta go all the way back. 
Yeah, he's been in a fuck ton of credits. Yeah, big character actor. I'm still scrolling. <laughs> man, he's been in a fuck ton. He's a working man. Oh, he was in Gattaca. There you go. Air Force One playing Agent Gibbs. No, doesn't not recognizable to me. No. Oh, The Rock. He was in The Rock, apparently. Who was he in The Rock? Playing Loner. I don't remember Loner. Yeah, it doesn't ring a bell, and I just saw that Friday night, so... <laughs> I can tell you. He's been in stuff. I, I, I probably yeah. seen him around and whatnot, anyway. Yeah, he's a big character actor. I'm sure we've both seen him in just lots of random things, just in the background. But anyway, yeah, Jeanette Goldstein. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just interested that, like, Cameron didn't have his, like, troop of actors he would, like, constantly, like, bring in. Kind of like, you know, Carpenter did, or... Uh, I guess Lucas sort of did... Or Coppola, or De Palma, or Scorsese did, does. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, Jeanette Goldstein, I guess, is one of the holdovers in, like, three of his films. That's that's something. Sigourney Weaver in, uh, I guess only two of them, really. And then, um, Arnold. When's Arnold gonna show up in Avatar, by the way? I was thinking about that today. <laughs> that's... I should have also yelled that out. I was like, yo, let's go, Arnold shows up in Avatar 2. Yeah, he's, he better show up in one of them, at least, even if it's, like, a small role. Just to kind of round that out. Oh, but just because we mentioned Avatar, I did want to say, uh, is this James Cameron's bluest movie? Oh, come on now. I... It is insanely blue. It is insanely blue, but, like, uh, I don't know. Like, maybe? Most of the time we see Miles Dyson, he's wearing an article of blue clothing, even. <laughs> That's true. That is true. It's like almost in every frame, something's blue. <laughs> yeah, that is that is true. But yeah, I don't know. What, what, what do you think the contenders are? I mean, Aliens is pretty blue, but I think this movie beats it. Avatar is pretty fucking blue. I don't know between those two. And... <laughs> it certainly was blue last night. And then, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, same with uh, The Abyss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, The Abyss is pretty damn blue. Yeah, it's hard. wonder what Titanic and uh, True Lies is going to look like. Yeah, I'm excited for those two. I haven't seen Titanic in at least 10 years and True Lies. Uh, maybe longer. I don't... That's another one that I only know from the VHS days. I think I still have my VHS tape, I think. I have to go looking for it, but... Yeah, I don't remember that movie all, almost at all. I just remember one particular scene that I'll call out during the discussion. That's the one singular thing I remember about the movie. And you'll laugh at me when I, I tell you what it is. You'll, you'll be like, oh, of course, that's what you remembered. So, <laughs> uh, but I think we were talking about um, Edward Furlong a little bit, and we didn't go into a John Connor character very much. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we got derailed by grunge. <laughs> um, yeah. So John Connor turned out the way he should. Why? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, and Bart Simpson basically, mm. like, by uh, eat my shorts and all that stuff so you know yeah, it makes sense i would be surprised if he was watching simpsons but thinks his mom's crazy he's a delinquent you know doesn't listen to his foster parents and whatnot i wonder if that was another um uh, jab at foster care in america hmm. like maybe but it, i don't know if it's touched upon at all yeah, not a ton. His parents don't even seem like they're bad parents, his foster parents. It's something like they're just trying to make do, and this kid's a lot of trouble. 
Yeah, it's what, like, while his mom seems aggressive and his dad's like, you know, whatever about it, like, is that because they themselves are aggressive to begin with, or because he's brought the aggression out on them? Especially when he makes the phone call to her, and, you know, it's the T-1000 in disguise, and he's like, she's never this nice. Yeah, that's true, that's it's true. Like, does that mean, you know, he's she's not this night i i don't know i i, I am confused <laughs> yeah and it is fun seeing jeanette goldstein she looks dramatically different from that last movie but <laughs> but good for her she looks a lot more uh middle class and her lower class yeah than what vasquez looked like yeah very different energies so yeah she's got some some range there certainly yeah no <laughs> she's definitely acting as a lower class person would yeah, and speaking of speaking of acting, what do we think about Edward Furlong here as his in his debut role? So I, as a teenager, I didn't. I I guess I was convinced of it, like he convinced me that he was acting, and well, not acting, but like I think he does a good job with it, acting. But like, I guess that is the thing. I was I was thinking about that when I watched this again, of like, hmm, is is Furlong a bad actor? Or do we have a you know? Eight years before, uh, uh, I was supposed to say Hayden Christensen. I'm sorry, uh, Jake Lloyd. Yeah, oh, um, uh, yeah. Do you think he's on? Do you, do you think he's on that level, or do you think he's kind of a mixed bag, or just just or good? Well, I mean, this is Cameron's second film with a child involved, and so I don't know how mm-hmm. that casting process went. Yeah, do you know any of the, the, the history with, with him himself, with how he was cast? Uh, no, that I don't know. Yeah, he wasn't an actor. Um, he wasn't even really, like, auditioning to get the role. It was just someone uh, someone involved with the casting was, like, going around to, like, the, some sort of club that he was that he was in. Some sort of, like, youth club. Okay. And they were like, oh, this kid seems like he's got the look we're looking for. Let's see if he can act. And... James Cameron was impressed enough and they hired him, but yeah, he was not a trained actor in any way or anything like that, as far as I could tell. So he was just kind of thrown to thrown into it. Well, I I think it works if they're again going for like, you know, this this punk kid. Um I think I think it works. Uh I think he it, it is interesting to see like that this is gonna be the future leader of humanity. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, humanity in the United States, or in, in L.A., excuse me. Huh. So I, yeah, it's just, it, it, the sequels would at least help show that he's come a long way from when he, you know, where, where he first started. But, you know, yeah, I, I, what's what's your take? How about that? Maybe, uh, I, I can't answer that right now, but I'd like to hear your take. Mm, my take is that it's, that it's a mixed bag. Um, I think he's he does have a number of, of good moments, and I think his chemistry with, with Arnold uh, w- works better than I would expect. But every now and again, he'll give a delivery that's just really awkward. Like, um, I think the scene where he's teaching Arnold some slang, he's like, no problemo, and his hasta la vista baby delivery. Uh, I, I think that stuff comes across as awkward. And also the scene where um, he's, like, screaming that Arnold's, like, abusing him in the parking lot. Those guys come over, and he looks all, like, smug, and he's like, oh, beat these guys up. 
I thought that, that scene felt like maybe when it was one of the first scenes they shot or something. Like it just felt weird. That's fair. Okay, so now okay, you sparked some ideas in my head, and also what I was thinking about in the film. Sure. Uh, so it's interesting that this is a kid who is a punk, uh, who, even though he's been like you know, kind of trained by his mom and on the run with his mother, uh, for you know most of his life. It's interesting how he still has a kind of part of humanity in him. Mm. And that that's the thing that might like come across weird for some people is that this punk actually shows some, um, not just emotion, but like some thoughts of not killing, for instance. Mm-hmm. That's the big, big theme in this whole film of just like, we, we don't kill. And... You know, he doesn't go into philosophical reasons. He's just, he's still a kid, and he just is like, yeah. we just don't. Yeah, that's just wrong. And it's like, that's very interesting, especially given his mom will willingly kill uh, some people for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I thought of with this, with between him and Arnold's character uh, growth, or at least their relationship, was I could not, and especially his voice as well, the, the Furlong's voice, I mean. I could not help but think of Hogarth uh, and the Iron Giant. Oh, interesting. Uh, and I realized, goodness gracious, uh, Brad Bird, you ripped off Terminator 2. <laughs> well. <laughs> because in a way, uh, the Iron Giant, or what is the Terminator but Terminator but a gun? Although, well, not mm, a gun but mm. a piece of like cold, hard steel uh, that can you know tear apart somebody like a gun. And what is he not to the Iron Giant? So, I guess this is a better film than the Iron Giants concept. <laughs> oh, is this a better film than the Iron Giant? That's interesting. At least for you, because I know you're you weren't like fully on board with the Iron Giant. Not saying it was bad, but just like you weren't fully on board with it. So I wonder if this is a better version of that. Yeah, I'd have to revisit that movie, but <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting debate because yeah, I do have. I I definitely am not in the camp of holding this up as, you know, like one of the best I mean it is one of the best sequels of all time but it's I, I don't think it's like on the aliens or the level of aliens or anything like that necessarily for me yeah okay that's fair and just contrasting Hogarth and John Connor is interesting as well should do that sometime don't I think about it oh but just speaking of just speaking of uh, the the voiceover process that would be in of the Iron Giant that's a good uh, spin off to this um, so I guess at a certain point in the production, because uh, Edward Furlong was still going through puberty, he was, he was a young kid here. We all do this. Yeah, his voice changed, and so they were like, "Okay, this it's it's too different. We need to go back and just dub over a bunch of his scenes with his new voice." And so I feel like some of the weird awkward performance stuff maybe comes from that scenes where it's obvious that it's voiceover and just he didn't know how to perform in that kind of way because being a voiceover artist and doing that kind of adr stuff is kind of a different talent than the kind of on the scene acting i have mentioned it before but yes yeah. it's, you know vo- this is why voice actors exist <laughs> yes <laughs> so so i can't blame him necessarily for and especially because it's his debut role and he wasn't really a, a trained actor so, so I don't, I don't judge him. I, I think he does, um, well enough. Oh my gosh. Okay, okay. I just have to have to call this out. <laughs> Let's go. What is it? So during the big uh, chase scene in the uh, 
uh, is it like the flood? Flood? What is that? The waterway? Thing? Uh, canals. canals. Snow canals. Uh, yeah. So I, I noticed this earlier today, and I just saw it again. Uh, right after Arnold joins the chase, and he like flies off. I was. I know what you're gonna say. I was thinking the same thing. It just caught, popped in my mind as well. That's so fun. That's what a coincidence. Yeah, and suddenly the the camera they are very clearly speeding it up, and it started making me think of Tetsuo the Iron Man. Now, okay, I think it only does it briefly though, so I'm gonna forgive it for that. But uh, there's not really much like faux slow motion, is there, or is it? Um, no, I just slow motion. A couple shots were faux slow motion, but okay. But were you thinking Tetsuo the Iron Man too? That that's funny if you were. Uh, no, I was thinking more which the year after this. I was thinking of. Uh, hard boiled. After mm. the one take, they kind of speed the camera up mm. in that one hallway before Mad Dog shows up. But that's that's what I was thinking. But it's funny. I don't really think of Tattoo of the Iron Man much. <laughs> but it's been quite a while. I don't know if you've seen it or you, like recently, or you still no. remember it from like still remember it <laughs> five years ago. Good grief. Yeah, I, I keep meaning to go back and watch the sequels, but yeah. <laughs> Keep for oh golly, it's been five years. Oh my goodness. Uh, no, don't even say it. Oh, uh, this pandemic took so much away from my. Anyway, sorry. It really did. It really did take. Yeah, but but um um, yeah. So I, I give um yeah Edward Furlong a pass for this one. I mean, he did go on to have um some some pretty good work later in his career too. At I don't know. I always highlight uh, American History X as a just a really great performance from him. I think he was just fantastic in that. And then sadly, kind of after that, his career just ended because of yeah, lots of drug issues. Oh, boy. Thanks, James. Just like George Lucas, you've uh, caused this kid to relapse and uh, go down the way of drugs. Okay, now I gotta now I gotta say this. This is, uh, I think it was in that same commentary track that Red Letter, Red Letter Media did that they said that um, Edward Furlong and Jake Lloyd, they should make a, a movie where the two of them kidnap James Cameron and and uh, George Lucas. They have them tied up together, and it's like, you guys are going to pay us back for all the damage you've done to our lives. They're making all these jokes about the different titles could be, and it's, it's a really funny bit. Um, I think their title was going to be We're Old and Bloated, and oh. <laughs> it was terrible. Is Cameron bloated? I never. Th I thought he was like... Okay, he's getting up there in age, but I thought he was like you know, pretty slender. No, they meant Jake Lloyd and and. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. You know, I've not actually seen a picture of Jake Lloyd older. I've seen yeah. Edward Furlong, you know, modern day, but like not Jake Lloyd. Yeah, and I think Mike referred to him as a bloated salamander at one point, and that I mean that's just mean. <laughs> that's just mean. Well, okay, hang on a second. Was Mike under the influence of alcohol at the point at that point? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay, well then this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and I did learn something about Edward Furlong today that um, surprised me quite a bit. Um, like maybe the year or the year after this, or so, he started dating um, his tutor that he had on set, and she was 28 at the time, and he was 15, and his family was all uncomfortable and. Um, his uncle even tried to get her tried for statutory, like, rape. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I was, and I don't know, I don't, that's, never heard about that. Among all the issues that were kind of talked about with him, that one never seemed to get out there. 
This is uncomfortable. Wow. Yeah, that's almost that's almost his whole lifespan. Older. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, if that's like from the kid himself, or if that is the woman, it's like or picks up. Both. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I. I, I don't know. Yeah, the power imbalance. I mean, she's a tutor. In some ways, she has some sort of you know authority figure to some degree. Oh god. And yeah, almost his entire lifespan older. Yeah, that's crazy. That's just marked. Yeah, but. Oh, ew, 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 ew. Yeah, back ew, to the movie. <laughs> ew, ew. I do not con. I, I, I do not consent to that. I don't even. I don't recommend that to anybody. That's gross. If you do that, that you're gross, and you should like not do that, and be told not to do that. Ew. Yeah, we're 28 right now. Think about that chick, oh. whoever she is. Fuck that chick, man. Like, come on. I know. F okay, okay. This is gonna sound weird. I know 15 year olds. That is gross. Really that gross. Is so gross. Yeah, crazy. Okay. But back to the movie. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay, yeah, back to the movie. Back to the movie. Um, yeah, we have another key component that we've not mentioned even slightly, really. Uh, the sequel to The Abyss uh, from the, uh, whatever that thing was, Cytopod or whatever it was called. <laughs> yeah, pseudopod. Pseudopod, thank you. Uh, we have the Terminator 1000. Yes, played by yeah, Robert Patrick. Yeah, and in one of the few, I think, defining roles for him, I don't think he's had... Uh, a big career in terms of things that people really know of him from. I think he's starting to get, come back. He's getting a career resurgence. Uh, he's slowly getting hmm. there um, re in recent years. I know he's on that show Scorpion, but I think he's he's slowly find he's gonna find that one role that's gonna like get net him um, fame. If that makes any sense, like like be like a top tier actor. Was he in Peacemaker or was that somebody else? Oh, I don't know. I've not seen that show yet. It was either him or uh, it was um, or Michael. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Tarantino guy. Oh, oh. Uh, uh, Mando? No. Oh yeah, I know the guy with who you mean. Yeah, Manson or Madsen. Manson. No, Mad 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 yeah, Manson. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he was Peacemaker's dad or it was Robert Patrick. Either oh. way, I think I he's yeah he's in Peacemaker. Peacemaker. I just looked it up. No. Robert Patrick. Yeah, Robert Patrick. Okay, so apparently, yeah, I think. He's making a career comeback, uh, which is awesome. That's that's good for him. Um, and you and I are going to see him, by the way, or we're going to hear him um, eventually uh, in a in a future book in our other channel. Oh, a future book. Um, interesting. Uh, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> I get you. Yes, or maybe the yeah. next book. I don't really know, but yeah, you know what I mean. Um, so, yeah. I don't know if this is his debut role, but you know, different in that, and I like what James Cameron wanted. He initially wanted, like, I think one of the ideas was we're gonna do two Arnolds, and he's like, that's gonna be lame, and people, it's a gimmick. Uh, mm -hmm. So he was like, let's do a new one, and let's make it like more sleek, so it's not as bulky as and obvious as you know Arnold is. Let's mm -hmm. make it a little more sleek, and so yeah, obviously. Uh, Patrick is slender build, um, but I believe that he is pretty. You know, he's he's pretty toned and ripped in uh, in the first scene when he comes <laughs> back in time. But the whole liquid polymer idea, oh, it's like the best it's ever been. Like they've, I yep. have yet to see like another, you know, other than like within this franchise, I've yet to see another series do that. In the same way and maybe i'm just ignorant on that i don't i don't fully know but yeah these effects still work 
they absolutely do. There's some transition shots that I think are just just great. And I think about a ton of the 90s kind of bigger budget movies that tried to that tried to integrate CGI and just did it so terribly. And I look back at this and it's like, you, you could have done it. You just got to put the fucking effort in. But that, that's yeah. and pay your that's visual effects artists as well, for pit's sakes. Exactly. Yeah, I don't want to judge that. Pay them, okay? Yeah, pay those guys for pit's sakes. Golly, I don't yep. know if you've seen. Please tell me you watched that video I sent you. I did watch that video. That's crazy. Oh golly, yeah, no, that's that's for another day. But yeah, <laughs> flipping a. If CGI looks bad, it's probably because uh, there's a time crunch on the visual effects house. <laughs> yeah, houses. Excuse me. Or they're just not paying enough. Yeah, to really get the that the too. really pristine work. Timing and pay. That's the big thing. Unionize. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And continue. Yeah, but the the liquid metal. I think it's a, a fantastic. I mean, you, you want a way to step up the the Terminator, who seemed almost unstoppable in that first movie. I mean, this is the most unstoppable. I don't think. And I mean, spoilers. You you don't really want to talk about the rest of the franchise, but I mean, I think. I think it was almost pointless to try to make sequels after this because you you can't get a better villain than this. You honestly can't. Like this is, like, okay, immune to bullets in a different way. Not that they bounce yeah. off, but like every time you shoot the flipper, he's like he just remolds itself back together. Yeah, literal bullet sponge, but at least it like delays him for a second. Oh yeah, no, all it does is just delay him, which is great. Um, I don't even want to know if like what these things are like in the future. By the way, oh yeah, I, that's and that does, in in my opinion, become a bit of an issue. It's like, was this the newest model? Was this just introduced to the war? They they said I, I'm pretty sure the 800 says it's a prototype. Prototype. Okay, that's great. That's yeah. great. So it, I don't know if it was like on the front lines, but. We see, and we, we see, we see this one. We see the uh, the hunter killers again, both the tank version and the um, the aerial version uh, of those bots, uh, which is nice. Uh, again, fully realized in the in the opening scene. But we see T eight hundreds everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, we see them everywhere. We see them wielding like plasma or, or pulse rifles. Excuse me, um, all that good stuff. And so we see them literally on the front lines. So the T eight hundred in 84 was like the newest model because it, like the, the skin was all good now yep. again okay this is weird you have to okay so in my mind i'm thinking so 1984 and yet the timeline still continues and as far as we know there were no other terminator in as of terminator 2 i know the comics and the vid and the other tv shows and movies went into this before but as far as yeah. I'm aware, there's no other Terminators present in that time frame. Okay? So, uh, that like, no others came from the future and caused mischief or anything like that. Like, you know, started Skynet, uh, Skynet yeah. itself, because it, that was already happening. Um, so, T-800 is, like, in 2028, is the newest model. And it is set in 1984 and then 1991 or 90 rolls around and then the t-1000 is the newest prototype in 2029 as well so it's yeah. it has to have been like months does that make sense like it has to have been months uh in 2029 and then they finally send the t-1000 back in time to 1980 91 yeah maybe me 
the only way I can justify it is if maybe what they did is they because what I understood from the first movie is it was Skynet that created the time travel they sent back the Terminator and then John Connor's crew took over whatever plant that they were developing the time travel in and they were like oh shit look what they did we need to send kind of a counteract or kind of a a countermeasure to fight what they've done so maybe because they'd started work on this prototype but they were losing the war so they couldn't get it up and running they were like okay let's send one of these prototypes too to go after john connor uh in case the other one fails and it, it doesn't fully work i don't think uh, but i don't know yeah like how how long has it been between the films that kyle reese was there and then because it's terminator first that's sent back mm-hmm. then it's kyle reese and then you know terminator one ensues the first person to go back is t800 in this movie and then the terminator 1000 is sent so it's the reverse where like john is sending a terminator back in time and then Skynet sending its Terminator back. In, I mean, okay, maybe they yeah. arrived at the same time, but I'm just going by what we see on screen, chronologically speaking. Yeah, I guess maybe, yeah, I guess they would need the time to yeah, reprogram the Terminator or else they would have sent it right away. Yeah, it's weird to think because, I mean, anything that they do in the past would seemingly change the future, but I guess, I guess if the future always happened the way it was supposed to happen, then nothing would change. That's what it gets confusing. Yes, no, it's... <laughs> <laughs> the time travel obviously doesn't work in this. It doesn't, you know, function the way time travel works. I mean, it sort of does. Hmm. But the ending is changed. I just thought of a potential workaround. Okay, let's hear it. Yeah, okay, so they took over the time travel place. They sent back Kyle Reese. They were like, okay, we as we were taking over this plant, we took out one of these, these T- T-800s. Let's start work- reprogramming that. That'll be our little... Our little buddy. Okay, I like this. And then in slipped in the prototype liquid metal guy, the only one of his kind. Then he rejiggered the machine and went back again. Then they're like, oh shit, now that guy's in there. We can't fight him on our own. Let's send in that Terminator we've been working on. So there you go. (laughs) There's my... uh, They don't say it, but that's my my head... uh, Your head cannon. No, I don't usually like head cannon. (laughs) That's fair. Head cannon can be toxic. Mm Mm-hmm. But there you go. Either way, I guess that stuff doesn't really matter that much. Because the movie works well enough on its own that you don't have to worry about those details all that much. No, that's fair. And that's not the point of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah, T-1000, really cool. Uh, Again, thank you visual effects artists uh, for (laughs) all your hard work. Only one visual effects house, by the way. Again, you probably saw that uh, in the video. So... um, yeah, good on you guys. Um, I wish we saw more of this t- with proper timing and proper pay. Excuse me. Yeah, and th- this particular kind of mode of the technology, I can't think of a lot else that emulated it. Like the the Abyss T2. What's the next one? With the same kind of liquidy looking. Well, if all reports were to be confirmed, if Cameron had done Spider-Man then Sandman would have been involved and he would have taken these ideas from the Abyss and T-1000 
And mm. instead of liquid, he would have gone with particle, microparticles of sand. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that would have been really sophisticated for them. But that would have <laughs> been interesting. Like, that's, like, he already does, he's doing liquid. I would have loved to see him do gas. Like, a gaseous being. That would have been kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. So, that's potentially what he would have done. This is all, obviously, speculation on uh, Eric of Geekvolution's part. <laughs> <laughs> in their uh, Spider-Man James Cameron talk. Oh, but um, just just on the technology, I think um, the ways that he like will move through stuff or things will move through him. I think all that stuff looks really cool. And the uh, I also like the mix of practical effects. Like you're mentioning how uh, when he gets shot, it like just kind of like like kind of explodes a little part of him, but doesn't really cause damage. I like the way that they realized that with just like sticking random stuff on him, on his outfit. Yeah, it it kind of yeah, all it does is just kind of keeps the projectile in place. Yeah, and doesn't do really anything with like the bullets afterwards. Like it either absorbs the bullets or we never see it like um, kind of poop hmm. or um, release the bullets out from it. Right, like you know, yeah. gets shot in the chest by like a handgun, but where are the bullets? Like. Is it, are they still inside the T-1000, or is it, like, are they on the ground scattered everywhere? Like, what's going on? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I don't think he could just, or it could just absorb the metal. I don't think so. So, yeah, probably, like, excretes it. <laughs> yeah, as, as and I love turn Arnie's line, uh, or John asks, like, oh, you know, how come it doesn't just turn itself into a gun? Uh, because kind of similar to the Green Lantern ring is that, well... A gun is not just something hollow. Like you just you see the gun, but it's a complex machine and with moving parts inside. So it's super complicated. So it's almost like a version of the T one thousand could exist where it shapeshifts into guns, uh, or it can shapeshift its arms or body parts into guns. But uh. they haven't gotten there yet, and I we're not talking about the TX. <laughs> But, I mean, that's a different creature entirely, but I'm saying, like, another yes. liquid metal, like, form of T-1000. Like, the T-6000, for instance, could do that. Or 8000, if we wanted well, to Well, she's kind of liquid metally in a way, but, yeah, I guess... Well, yeah. as far as... If, from what I remember, she's... It's kind of a cool idea. She's, like, the exoskeleton plus having, like, liquid metal-like coating. Yes, that's... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, which isn't the stupidest idea, I find, but... Again, it depends on how they did it in that sequel. But again, yeah. talking about that. By the way, I don't know if I saw this as a teenager, but uh, as the T-1000 is chasing them in the helicopter in the SWAT car, I noticed it sprouted arms. <laughs> oh, 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 interesting. Like secondary arms? Yeah. So as it was, pi yes. So as it was flying, uh, it actually, because it had that submachine gun. In one hand, and it still had it was still had two hands piloting the controls for the helicopter. And I saw it was like had three hands. I'm like, whoa! I'd never seen that before. That kind of looks weird. <laughs> oh, I missed that. But also makes sense though. That's cool. Yeah, and in that that aspect, I think really does elevate the movie, and that's one of the the big standouts. Not just because of the great technology, but I think Robert Patrick just plays a really intimidating villain there as well yeah and again he's like similar to arnie in the first one he's very reserved and quiet i mean that, that's intentional because yeah. you know don't really 
doesn't really need to make quips. And it every time it kills somebody, it always turns its head. I'm mm -hmm. like, I wonder if that was either a Cameron-inspired idea or a Patrick-inspired idea. Oh, and that that takes me to another element I wanted to mention. Um, so it's at some point he comes to the uh, the asylum that uh, or the sanitarium. I'm not sure which word to use. <laughs> the facility, hospital, <laughs> hospital <laughs> that uh, Sarah Connor's in, and we see this this one kind of a little bit bigger uh, guard that's there, and then we see the guard get converted and then killed and when i first saw that guard i was like oh hey it's my pal he was in gremlins 2 him and his twin brother and i was like oh is his twin brother in this movie i don't remember seeing him and then after that i was like oh that's that's why they casted him because yeah the twin could be the opposite version of him and i didn't realize that they actually did that with linda hamilton too i didn't realize that she had a twin sister whoa that's cool whoa i know that yeah later on in the movie so was that when she was limping, when the T-1000 was imitating Sarah and limping towards John, and then, you know, and Linda Hamilton comes in with the shotgun. Is that her sister, or is that just some, you know, well... Yeah, yeah, her twin sister. Do they look completely identical, or is there, like, a difference? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure if you, if you knew them uh, personally, you could tell the difference, but they are identical twins, yeah. Okay, so it's like... Okay, so it's like Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Okay, never mind. No, that makes sense. <laughs> but no, yeah, I think that was a really clever thing for uh, for Cameron to to utilize, just to get. I I almost wish they did it a little bit more, but it works in those two instances. I did not know that. <laughs> Who knew they had twins? Twins. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of random. Yeah, definitely didn't know that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess there is maybe I think one more kind of big standout character in the movie. Yes, can... there is. And who might that be, sir? Yeah, Miles Dyson. Yeah, someone that we've mentioned many times and yeah, played by Joe Morton. And I almost never remember the actor's name. I just think of Miles Dyson because this role is just so kind of definitive for him, I think. Yep. Even though I've seen him be really good in a lot of stuff, when I see him, I immediately think of this role because... I mean, this role is just fantastic. Even though there's a limited amount of screen time, he just, just, he's one of the big standouts, I think, in this movie. I feel really bad for this character. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, yeah, no, where to begin with this guy? Uh, com a complete geek. Um, very much a workaholic, but not to the extent of, like, you know, um, <laughs> what is it neglecting his children or his wife mm -hmm. it sort of gets to that point but no he's he literally is like cameron is doing everything to show that this man is a a good person and a family man uh yeah. and there's nothing wrong with him at all it's just you know he accidentally is the one that goes on to you know create not fully but yeah has a hand in in the creation of skynet excuse me yeah, a very key role in developing the technology. Thank you. There we go. Yeah. And yeah, he, he's just a regular guy. He's got his little... He's got a nice family that they give us just enough time with to, you know, really make us like the guy. I mean, I think he he just comes off as really... And I think it's partially just the performance. Like he's, he's just really charming. Oh, yeah. No. Him, his wife, his children, their performances. Yeah, they all, like, legitimately convince me that this is just a normal average guy and what Hamilton's gonna do to him is just completely wrong 
Yep, and that's that's such a powerful. It actually made me uh, well up a little bit that scene I thought earlier. Oh yeah, no, I was always in near tears, man. I was like, this is insane. Like, and that's when I realized, and Cameron already said this in like in the booklet I have, but I never really got it until now. I'm like, he is Sarah Connor, like he is Sarah Connor in Terminator One, mm. and she mm. is Arnold in Terminator One, and that's the moment when she realizes that she's you know become the very thing she hates and it's like wow that's a powerful scene like i get it now how mucked up is that i think it's really great when john shows up and she's like wow you were here to stop me like and just kind of the revelation of that to her i thought that was really powerful too and is that wasted time by the way is that like you know a plot through that doesn't need to happen um in which way do you mean like which which thread like is it unnecessary to the plot I guess well, what's the plot exactly to defeat the T one thousand? Yeah, that and that is that is one of my issues with the movie is, um, I feel like there is like two plots in the movie. At a certain point, we go to Mexico and leave the T one thousand behind, and when he shows up later in the movie at Joe Morton's house, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about the T one thousand. I forgot he was in this, because <laughs> I got so wrapped up in the other side of the plot, which is yeah, stopping Skynet. And I think it's cool that they have that just in the background developing, and we see that. I mean, whatever comp I guess it's Cyberdyne. Cyberdyne. I mean, they're kind of assholes. They they knew about the the stuff that Sarah Connor was talking about, but she's locked up as a crazy person. They hid the evidence. I mean, that's that's super shitty. <laughs> and if there is one complaint for Miles Dyson is that he doesn't ask questions about where that stuff came from. Oh yeah. I, and to be fair, like, again, he's in the ordinary world, so he's just like, whatever. It, it is yeah. what it is. Like, so, to 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 rebuttal your statement, it's just like, I assume because he didn't know that. Like, he, he just didn't know. Yeah, and he knew that they were, they were shifty about, like, don't ask any questions about this. Then again, we don't really see Cyberdyne, like, employees, though. Like, everybody we see seems yeah. like normal, upbeat people. We're, it's never seen as like a sinister corporation. That's the thing, is that it doesn't. And they didn't play it that way. They never did. They only played it as just like a normal tech company, with a, you know these normal people. You know they're, they're like everybody else. Um, mm -hmm. Had they played it with like you know some scumbag CEOs or people with agendas like hidden agendas, then we would be okay with that and be like Dyson, what are you doing? Maybe there was a part in that of the of the script where they're just like, nah, it seems like a side plot. Yeah, yeah, unnecessary. All we need to see is that yeah, Dyson, once he realizes what his technology is going to be, he immediately switches sides. And he's like, okay, not only do am I going to quit my job, my passion that I've been very diligently working at, I'm just going to throw it all away, but I'll also let you into the building and help you destroy it. Like... <laughs> Like it's a huge leap to get to, and he gets there just yeah, almost immediately. Yeah, I mean, I love the scene that convinces him to do that. Yeah, love that scene too. It's Absolutely. just, it's gory, but it's freaking amazing. Like, why not? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I really do feel bad for him um, as he's, you know, in there and he's like convinced almost. Like, there just still seems to be a hesitation of, of, of all this. Well, I mean, he's... I, I'm, sure, I'm sure he's seen the news of Arnie being kind of this, this murderer, this serial yeah. killer going around. 
And then, yeah, she almost killed him. This shows up, puts, points a gun in his face. Yeah, so yeah, I'm sure he's just kind of wigged out too. But, but even still, it's great that he immediately takes responsibility and it's like, okay, you know, it's it's up to me now to help and help save the world, basically. And yeah, it really lives up to the uh, the cause. And I also think it's just horrible his little his little death scene, where he also just tries his best to save the uh, the police that are coming in. I thought that was a really impactful moment too. Yeah, he he deserves a lot of um, reprimandations. I'll say that just for all his work. <laughs> yeah, in the afterlife. Yeah, no, <laughs> for all he does, man. Like, yeah, no, I like this character, and yeah, I I remember his name, like you said. So, yeah, and I think uh, we've talked throughout throughout this series about the uh, strengths and weaknesses of Cameron as a writer. But a character like this that we really don't have that much screen time with, and to do as much that he does with him, I think is a real um, credit to, to his ability as a writer. I think it goes both ways, not just as him, but also Morton. Yes, and his performance absolutely. he puts with him. So I think it's a bit of both. Not yeah, to, that's true. Not to throw any like camera under the bus or anything like that, but he, you know, liked what Morton was doing. Uh, yeah. with the role so like when he when he auditioned i assume so he's like this is gonna like make this character work for me and so he casted him for that reason and he made the right choice yeah the 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 clever idea to expand out the cast a little bit and have the the, the creator of uh skynet even though he's not the exact creator but to introduce that to the plot and then to hire someone who could really kind of elevate that character i think was all just great great work and yeah, just another great little part of this movie, which has a lot of great parts to it. So, a lot of strengths. So, we've gone through the list of characters, the cast, all the cast characters, really. Yeah. You know, I said I was going to talk about Arnie with John. Um, just wonderful what they do with, you know, the Terminator, where uh, in the, I think it's, it is the extended cut or the director's cut, they kind of rewire his brain. I don't know if that was, yeah, that wasn't in the, that was no. the regular cut. I forgot hmm. about that. Where they actually like remove his CPU chip, and then uh, reset his whole brain to start allowing uh, ad- adaptations with you know all of oh, John Connor's wow. suggestions. Hmm. I guess you forgot about that. But yeah, yeah well, yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that either. <laughs> uh, so, but yet I'd seen that scene somewhere. So I assume, yeah, I had. Well, I've seen the extended cut before i just forgot about it but anyway um now we come to the action Mm. which is i think what this movie is well known for more than the characters potentially yeah it could be yeah maybe a big fan of this movie is is listening to this conversation like how is it taking you guys this fucking long to get to the, the amazing action stuff i think that's a testament to this movie that it did take us this long to get to the action (laughs) That we had stuff to talk about before the action. Yeah, and again, I, I'm not a huge action guy, just in general. Um, especially just kind of like straight gun action. Like, just tons of people shooting on screen doesn't really do a ton for me. Um, but I think in terms of the, the filmmaking, Cameron does a lot of stuff to make that feel really slick. Uh, there's some cool chase sequences and a cool villain. So I think that helps elevate it then, rather than just some cheap Arnie a shoot 'em up movie, a commando or <laughs> raw deal or something, whatever. 
Yeah, no. Uh, Commando, this is not. Um, even though some people might see that Commando's awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> this justifies him unloading a gun and having no recoil whatsoever. Um, <laughs> and just standing there, like, taking everything. You know, again, because, you know, he's a Terminator underneath. So I think it makes sense mm -hmm. uh, for him to, like, you know, no sell any bullets coming at him. Uh, only for this movie, of course. But I I love it's so video gamey. It probably inspired people when they're making a ga video game. Um, whenever Arnie uh, in the first chase scene with like uh, John T one thousand on the uh, on the on the Optimus Prime Prime Mac truck, and then Arnie on the uh, motorcycle. Every time he like takes his Winchester and like shoots a gate i'm just like that reminds me of a video game so much yeah that's true yeah i can see that <laughs> yeah and i could see some um like the big end fight with like the helicopter there and all the police and arnie's going at him with the minigun i could see that being a scene in a video game too i could see me losing over and over again and getting pissed off like oh fuck i gotta reset this scene over and over again <laughs> i mean it was a scene in a video game it's called far cry 3 blood dragon <laughs> Oh, do they do they use that that kind of moment there? I don't remember. Hmm. I don't know about that, but they do use a minigun. Oh yeah, yeah, miniguns. Yeah, they show up in lots of games, but yeah, which I always love getting. <laughs> remember in GTA uh, uh, San Andreas, I always used to do the cheat to get the minigun. <laughs> Those were so legendary back in the day, man. Oh, I love the cheats. Yeah, but, but your thoughts on the action? Because you're a little bit more of an action guy. Oh, what can I say? Like. The fist fights once again range mostly to just like um, them grabbing each other and <laughs> not tossing each other around, but I think making a little more sense of just like yeah, them pushing, shoving each other into things, which I think is a little funny. <laughs> um, but it is interesting that I will say, uh, yeah, thinking about it now, like okay, the action is great, and when I'm watching it, it's great. I'm literally at the minigun scene, by the way. It's freaking Me too. awesome. Me too. Um, <laughs> But I gotta say, whenever, yeah, this this might be a, a a point against it, but whenever Arnie is taking on the T1000, I'm like, okay, you know, bullets aren't gonna work. Yeah. So why the heck are you still using bullets? Like, you know, it's gonna slow it down. Like, you should try something else. Like, you should adapt. And that's a that's a problem. Like, they should show like other characters have. Whereas Arnie, like, takes it from a distance and just shoots it with other, like, different ammo. You know, like, at the end when he shoots it with a grenade launcher, that did some damage. Yeah. Um, and or at least it really, like, slowed it down. So I'm just like, okay. On one hand, again, I like all the shootouts in this, but on the other hand, when it comes to the T-1000, you know, how they're engaging with it, I do think I'm a little like, okay, when the Terminator itself, like the T-800, learn from its mistakes um, and and try a different tactic, or would it just keep using bullets? Like, where was, where was the pipe bombs from the first film, man? Like, that would have been cool. Like, I mm. wouldn't bring those back. We didn't see those before. Yeah, no, that, that might have helped, yeah. I, I don't know if that would have done anything at all, but I'm just like, ah, I remember those being a staple in the first film. 
<laughs> I, I kind of wish we brought those back. We didn't really have many grenades in this run, except for the grenade launcher, excuse me. Yeah, that's that's replacement, you know, the grenade launcher. Which was cool, though. It was awesome to see. Uh, and whenever he, like, held that thing, man, when you get that thing in Watch Dogs 1, it's pretty awesome. Mm. Um, it's, it's the less insane version of an RPG-7. <laughs> but, no, I, I kind of wish that they had... What is it? Yeah, Cameron had made the T-800 kind of think more, especially after, like, the, the reboot, um, which, like, he almost starts to, you know, again, adapt in the fly. Like, okay, I'm going to, you know, come at this from a different angle. Uh, I'm going to, you know, use knowledge, common knowledge of how, like, liquid, like, liquid metal works, or, like, I assume it's mercury, although they said it was, like, poly, whatever it was. Um... <laughs> So I'm going to use the weaknesses of that to deal with it. So we should have seen him go to, like, again, a liquid nitrogen tank uh, or liquid nitrogen center to get some liquid nitrogen and, you know, freeze it. Um, well, he would have sort of been over if that was... Oh, I mean, like, of course. Well, probably. Yeah, eventually it would cool and he would you know, reform again. Or it would heat up. Uh, but then, of course, he would just transport him to a place where it would be extreme heat and would melt uh, the T one thousands like a steel mill. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious if you if you think at the end, like, do you think he was completely destroyed? Because it, I mean, this movie they sell us over and over again that this guy really can't be destroyed all that easily. If he's melted down, is the components of him still there enough that he could, like, reincorporate at some point? Um, depends. I mean. It also potentially we could have seen like eva evaporation almost, like you could mm. probably evaporate the thing and it would not come back. <laughs> <laughs> like we saw solidification, it did a de great deal to it. In fact, again after even if it as it reformed, there were still glitches. Like it started to have malfunctioning problems when it was like um, every time it, it took a piece of metal like or held a piece of metal, like it would kind of merge with the ground. Yeah. So it was having like you know malfunctions there. So even like after extreme reforming from something such as like freezing, uh, it started to like show glitches or malfunctions. So you could beat it uh, eventually. You just have to keep like freezing it over and over again and forcing it to reform. <laughs> so I do believe that the steel, uh, liquid steel at the end, did in fact or molten steel excuse me at the end did in fact kill the T one thousand. Yeah, and maybe it would have been a, a a better choice if if they actually like saw the saw the truck and were like, oh, we're gonna go after this liquid nitrogen truck instead of it just being a coincidence. Like maybe that would have been a better move for for the intelligence of the uh, T eight hundred. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Uh, like it drives the tanker truck, but of course it has to. We're we're doing a. Um call back to the first film where now it, it's it's once again you know it's instead of a gasoline truck it's a liquid nitrogen truck mm -hmm. and instead of a i guess manufacturing plant it's a steel mill yeah yeah those points do feel yeah like the, the remake parallel yeah and, and i don't know if we necessarily needed that but i think it it works and especially the kind of um the goodbye scene with the terminator and, and them i think is a nice change on that previous ending it's no more your terminator fucker it's yeah the tearful goodbye <laughs> and again i think um um edward furlong and 
Arnold are, are delivering some of their best work during some of those scenes. There. Yeah, no, when you when you force Arnold to like have minimal dialogue, it I think it does bring out his talents and shows how good of an actor he is. Yeah, he's very nuanced uh, physically in this movie. Like he can do a lot with just a, a couple glances or yeah, just the way he like carries himself. So yeah, maybe it's just the the vocal delivery that's some of his weaker stuff in general. So yeah, they really, or at least Cameron really uh, accentuated what worked for him here. And I was trying to think what, if this was his best performance that I've seen him give. I couldn't really think of a lot of other stuff. I mean, I think he's great in Predator, but I, I merely like feel emotionally affected by his performance as I, as I do here in moments. I'm trying to think. I wrote down a, a, a scene. I'm, I'm trying to find it right now that I thought was. Uh, oh, it's the scene when he realizes that John was crying in the back seat. Just his like expression, like he immediately notices that John. He's like, "Hey, what's what's going on back there with you? You look a little." Because John's just been kind of uh, mistreated by his mom, and so the, the term here is being a little bit more sensitive to him. And I thought that the way that uh, Arnold played that scene was was really well done. Agreed. No, especially when uh, when John was suggesting, "Hey, you should smile more." He looks at that guy at, at, on the telephone, and he like mimics <laughs> his facial expression in 3D. And he does it, and it's like Arnold can actually smile though. Like he actually can put on a mm -hmm. smile, and so he puts on this awkward smile. So that's acting right there. Like of him yeah. putting on that like weird smile, and then like. John's like, okay, maybe maybe you should try in a mirror. And then he immediately goes back to, like, Stone Cold Face. That was good acting on his part. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because um, that that take that, that takes some acting. Like, you're not just... It's like, oh, he's not really acting. No, he is. Like, he clearly is acting. Um, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with what you say. Um, some of the best parts are between him and John. As, like I said before, as this, like, foster parent almost in a way to him. This father figure to him, which maybe, like, Sarah spells out a little too much. I don't know yes. if you were <laughs> thinking that. Um, yeah, I've been sitting on, yeah, getting to the her voiceover that they do in the movie. Um, And, and maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, I, f I feel like that was either the first time we saw it in the movie or the first time in a long time is the Irish scene where, like, as I watch him in the machine, I realize that he'll never leave him and he'll never get drunk and abuse him. And I was like, oh wow, they really are just spelling it out for the uh, <laughs> for the crowd here. Which is funny because with the Terminator, like with, with her assaulting Miles Dyson's home, I thought this would be like the place to put like a flashback to the first film. And they didn't do that. Mm. So it's really interesting where James Cameron like puts his like subtleties and not subtleties and mm -hmm. obvious uh, choices of uh, filmmaking in there or script writing um, like yeah if that scene was muted um, the the voiceover at the end I think works because it just is like Sarah Connor signing off I think yeah you know the, our future is not determined like I think that works perfectly but yeah I eminent greens with you um why the voiceover needed to exist yeah there's a couple other ones i think when they leave miles dyson's house she's like 
we were in a place then where like the future wasn't wasn't made and we were making paving our own path and i was like did the studio like make them insert this this narration why is she just explaining what they're what they basically just said <laughs> i agree uh it was not a stupid line per se but i also like i, I like it's quotable but at the same time i, I know what you mean yeah so yeah i do think the the narration is one of the the weaker elements of the movie um, but, but not a big detract or anything like that. Just, yeah, not, doesn't feel necessarily needed a lot of the time. Uh, score. Uh, so what's his name returns, um, from Brad Fidel. Oh yeah. The, the composer. Yeah. yeah the composer. Sorry. By Fidel. Maybe it's Fidel. I, I probably, I don't remember, but yeah, um, <laughs> I, I see it in my mind. I can't pronounce it properly or remember if the spelling's correct or not, but um, he takes what he did from the first one, makes it less horror filled, but brings back some movies. Actually, I remember when when Sarah was assaulting Miles, he, uh, I think he plays like a Terminator theme over uh, the assault, and mm. I'm like, oh yeah, that's some that's some subtlety right there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like it's a lot of the same notes, but it's removed from like that synth kind of sound it almost has like more of a howard shore uh cronenberg sound yeah i don't know how to describe the uh it's i guess more it's gonna say operatic but that doesn't sound right i, I don't know it just just not synthy yeah it sounds more like it's uh got a more epic kind of tone to it or something yeah there's more of an orchestra to it this is where like the da 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 comes in um i believe or maybe i'm wrong on that but yeah, I, th I thought it was in the other one, too. Maybe it was. Okay. But either way, I, I enjoyed the score. Um, yeah, okay, not much there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the good score. Iconic score. Not as haunting as the first one, but again, it's different. It's more epic, like yeah. you said. More action-centric. Um, yeah. Cinematography? What was your thoughts on that? I think this is a pretty good-looking film. Yep, very, very slick, um, smooth, flowy camera work. I think there's a good use of cutting during the action. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like Cameron has definitely got it down at this point in terms of his filmmaking. And, but it is extremely blue, like almost distractingly blue at times. No, that's true. It's um, like, where is this light source and why, does it, why is it casting everything in this very specific blue? It's not like... Uh, like, I feel like there was more of a varied look quality in Aliens and um, The Abyss. This one's like this very particular shade of light blue. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but what else do we got? Oh, I guess we didn't really discuss the nuke scene. There we go. So, the whole reason for why Sarah goes on the assault with Miles Dyson uh, was, or at least what really got her egged on to do it because they were for all intents and purposes going to go across Mexico or to Mexico I think and or somewhere I don't remember and then she has this dream at the picnic table <laughs> and like I said before we, we saw her, her having these recurring dreams of the bomb going off and then we see the bomb going off in downtown Los Angeles and we see children get caught in it. At least the children in said little mini park. And we actually see uh, Linda Hamilton there, I guess, with a child. Uh, you know, supposed to be John Connor, of course. And yeah. 
Well, you know, it's... It's horrific. It's, um... I think part of it's CGI, I don't know. But, I'm not, I'm not talking about the, the people getting, you know, uh, incinerated. But, I mean, like, yeah. some of the initial when the blast hits. I think that's some CGI smoke or whatever. But then, like, when you see all the miniatures just get destroyed, it's... Yeah, it's insane. You, but you just see, yeah, these kids... You, I think you at least see, like, two kids burn up. Yep. And it's like... Yeah, and Sarah. Sarah's just, like, yeah, charred corpse. <laughs> it's, it's, it's dark. It's mucked. It's completely just, like, all mucked. And... Yeah, I don't know if, like, audience members had a... If, if the thought of World War II was still in their heads and the whole atom bomb thing was still in their heads, but like when it's getting close to when you and I are born and I certainly don't remember the atom bombs at all. Oh, I think that's more of a Cold War reference. I was wondering, are yeah. there any statements on the Cold War in this era? Wait a second, that's right. I remember this, this age badly. Um, uh, Arnold gives a rundown of how Skynet is, Skynet is launched and how it becomes self-aware and its first logical action is to nuke all of Russia and then Sean goes, why Russia? I thought Russia was our allies. Yeah. Oof. Chad, that was just a weird thrown in line. I was like, oh, come on. What is this? Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Big oof. Two years, man. Two years. Hey, spe spe speaking of which, yeah. Two years after in the abyss, where you know that whole plot was with like the Russians or with the Marines going nuts with the Russian, like thinking that's a Russian bogey. Yep. Nothing here with like when it came to when it came to that stuff, eh? Like not much no. Cold War stuff other than yeah, that nuke. And you're right, I for totally forgot about you know all those nuke scares uh, in like the yeah. 80s, well, all throughout. Excuse me, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Excuse me. Yeah, and the duck and cover generation. Yeah, it would have been a familiar kind of fear for a lot of young folks living under that era. Duck and cover. Finds a place to hover. <laughs> but yeah, no, really powerful imagery, I think. Yeah, just very well done. That little short sequence. And I think one of the things that also sticks in people's minds, when I think of Terminator 2, I think of that sequence. Yeah, how often do you see, like, you know, a nuke go off in, like, a film? That's actually, like... Also, a better nuke than in Aliens. Or all that was was just a cloud that, like a <laughs> yeah. mushroom cloud that went up. This was actually, I'm not going to, oh, sorry, I'm not going to throw that one under the bus. Um, they did what they had to, and I think they were on a budget uh, at that point. But this one was really cool and well done, and yeah, haunting. Mm -hmm. um, you're just seeing all the skeletons. Although I thought the skeleton, why would the skeletons exist? I mean, from a distance, yeah, but I thought like everything would be atomized. Yeah, I guess it depends how far away you are. Yeah, other does. people would just be yeah burning the blast, and then further people would just be affected by the the radiated the radiated dust. Yeah, which I mean, I hope John. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, he was technically in a nuclear shelter before that all happened. Um, uh, can I just say another really cool effect that wasn't just you know it was related to the T one thousand was when it did get hit with liquid nitrogen. Yeah, no, that looks great. Yeah, I just saw that. It looked. <laughs> really cool yeah yeah and the slow down like the breaking off the limbs i thought that was really cool and i also think when the uh the heat melts it then we just see like the all little pieces 
kind of reconnecting. I think that looks really good too and practically done. Is that claymation? No, that's um I think that is just like mercury or some sort of metallic chemical and yeah, they're just kind of I think maybe they have the set pointed downwards so that all the stuff is just falling towards each other. Uh, okay, that makes sense. But yeah, no, it looked really cool and a really great uh, these practical just uh, components, chemical components really. <laughs> Yeah, and then seeing all of it kind of reconnecting and rising as the CGI form, I just think looks fantastic. And I wonder, it, would you think that this kind of animation or CGI work would work today? Or would it be too dated to this particular time period? Well, let's look at, now I'll allow this, let's look at, say, Gen Genesis and, or Genesis, excuse me, and um, I guess Dark Fate as reference points. Hmm. I don't remember what they did. I... Yeah, I don't remember what their Liquid Terminator stuff looks like. Okay, and apparently Sarah Connor Chronicles has also got like a T-1000 in there as well. Oh wow, I do not remember that. I've only seen the first two seasons of that show, I believe. T-1001 or something like that. It's so, oh, whatever. It's so dumb. But anyway, um, Aww. <laughs> that's not true. But just like, that's kind of, yeah. just call it like T-1100 or something like that. But anyway. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, where is it? Um, kind of wish we saw a POV of the uh, T-1000, by the way, because we always saw, hmm. like, what Arnold's POV was, but I kind of wanted to see what Patrick's POV was, if it was, like, silver or something like that. Kind of similar to um, what the pseudopod was in in the uh, Abyss. Hmm. Yeah, no, they should have done that, actually. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, what does it see? Um, but anyway, yeah, the... For the effect, I mean, like, the closest thing I could say maybe is, like, you know, the birth of Sandman in Spider-Man 3. Hmm. Yeah, which also looked great. Yeah. No, yeah, that, that's fair. I could definitely see the, you know, relation to that. Um, but beyond, beyond those last two bits, those are kind of my last little bits of notes. Uh, wh whatever you have left is, uh, I'll take on and then, yeah, I'm, I'm basically ready for final thoughts, but... Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Um... Like themes and messages. What's the story? What's the theme of this entire movie? Hmm. <laughs> uh, the the themes are definitely kind of um, you know, lost or regaining the fami familial bonds. You know, with John kind of a un gaining an understanding and accepting of his mother, and yeah, kind of accepting this new father figure. I I don't know. I don't. Uh, Oh, speaking of which, as soon as, like, he finds out the Terminator is real, uh, he immediately, like, just immediately believes it. Like, before, yep. he's like, yeah, she's complete psycho, made all this crap up, and then, like, Terminator comes up, he's like, are you Terminator? Wow, my mom was right. Like, just switches like a light bulb. Yeah, I mean, a kid like him, seeing his mom locked up, maybe he even... Because he seemed pretty sad to think, like, yeah, it turned out she was just crazy. Um, maybe in some ways, like, he didn't fully accept that she was crazy, but if you say that, you, you see what happens to you, so you just kind of cope with what you what you can do. So. Oh, by the way, I'm looking at some of these these shots of the uh, the inside the steel uh, plant here. Steel mill. <laughs> and they're, they're kind of reminding me of aliens a little bit some of the, the kind of grandeur of these shots. That's what I thought. I was like, yeah, I know. We returned to Aliens. Yeah, which was already returning to uh, Terminator a little bit. So he's got his, definitely his little attraction to this kind of location. 
and even some shots in Avatar now that I think about it in, in some of these kind of places but <laughs> anyway uh, I'm kind of lost at that um I was thinking of uh, like the big place where they keep their their big mechs oh yeah okay the hangar bay yeah the hangar bay not as like like uh, breaking down like this place looks like but certainly not just the big me mechanical kind of place um your future is not what you cur you you choose it to be or whatever it is your future is not determined sorry yeah no fate would make for yourself that line that I'm always quoting <laughs> of course you are partially because uh, John Connor's delivery of it is again one of the more comical uh, maybe not one of his best deliveries but no offense to the guy you know I, I think he he did do some good work in this for his, his first performance Oh, but do you feel like you're uh, rounding out to the old final thoughts? Yeah, I sorry, I got distracted. I, got, I, was, I was watching the film, sorry. Yeah, I've been watching it too. <laughs> um, probably the shorter version of... Uh, the shorter speakeasy of ours on Cameron. Um, yeah, I think the first movie was about the same length. Yeah, yeah, I really can't think much more else um, other than... Did, did it also set the bar for what others, like, blockbusters should be or what sequels should also be not that Empire Strikes Back wasn't doing that beforehand hmm yeah no it's interesting to see or to, to question what the influence of this was I don't know I don't really know how influential this was I can't think of a lot of action movies I mean maybe in terms of the just expanding Hollywood budgets in general maybe this kind of showed like not only can we get fantastic results if we spend this kind of money but we can also earn the money back so there's a viable it's a viable option to to just kind of go all out with the expenditure so maybe that was an influence yeah although i think it also with with that what you just said i think that statement should also be met with as well who you put your trust and money in <laughs> yeah if they can go. deliver like cameron <laughs> delivered with this film but Others who probably followed the same suit probably did not. Mm. Dep depends, of course. I can't like say they all failed, but yeah, and that could be that could be one of the the just returning kind of the reliability to the studio with James Cameron because the Abyss, even though it wasn't a, like a a flop, it was a little bit of a disappointment, and so to, to turn around and deliver this probably just immediately went made them go holy crap this Cameron maybe we just need to give him whatever he wants he wants like 200 million dollars for uh, Titanic I think that was the budget for that just throw it at him see what he can do 200 million dollars you're gonna see 200 million dollars on screen yeah <laughs> no that film justified its budget okay yes. and it got back <laughs> 1 billion dollars so nah yeah, you put two hundred million dollars on screen, you make like more than two hundred million dollars on screen <laughs> from the screen. Excuse me. Yeah, but I don't think True Lies was uh, like a, a huge budget movie. I mean, maybe it was around the same price as this one. I'm gonna pose that question there, even though I'm gonna forget. But I wanna pose the question of like, is that his best modern day film? And when I say mo like, mo is that his best uh, film set in modern day? True Lies. Yeah interesting yeah interesting yeah i think it might be more than this because this at least has its like future universe whereas like that is set present day and there's no time travel 
Yeah, just spoilers for that discussion. Have you seen True Lies? No, the full thing. Not the full, not okay. the beginning, some of the middle, most of the end, but it, my vision's hazy. My memory's hazy on it. Yeah, and I've seen that like two or three times, but it's been, again, since maybe maybe before like 2005 or six. Like it was the VHS days still. So, I mean, when I was still collecting VHS, I should say. Not, not that it, they were the primary selling thing. But when you could still buy VHSs in Walmart, I think that was around the time when I watched that last. So it's been a very, very long time. Um, but, but do we feel like we've uh, wrapped up the Terminator 2 discussion? You know, at this point, I'm going to, yeah, I'll say, let's call it there. Uh, we, I don't have any other things in mind. Um, don't remember everything fully. Um, other than, like, is, is this a subtle jab at this part of america like this is a criticism at this part of america like you know the police surrounding miles dyson does that have any context nowadays or whatnot like what's no. going or sarah connor like you know assaulting you know this miles and his family is that like something at all i don't, I don't know no i think you're looking for commentary and i don't i don't know if there's a ton yeah of course here in terms of i think maybe after the big lofty social commentary of the abyss maybe he was just, just like i gotta go back to basics not the worst thing. Certainly not the worst thing. So, and we'll see if they uh, if he returns to social commentary in the next film, True Lies. Well, I guess we'll see. Oh boy, <laughs> from my very long ago memories. But, but yeah, I guess I'll go to you first. What are, what are your your final thoughts on this one? The final thoughts. I give this a high recommendation. Um, you don't need to see the first one to watch it, but or to understand everything. But I still recommend you watch both. Uh, I think this is a... Is it a perfect duology? That's a good question. I don't know. Like, could you treat this as, like, its own duology and kind of just leave it as as, as it is? And not, like, you know, watch any of the other sequels afterwards? Yes. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Um, yeah, there's only two of them. That's it. <laughs> and uh, rating uh, out of five? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I give this a five. Mm. Yeah, for me, no, I definitely think this is a, a great action movie. I mean, a great sequel to Terminator, even if it wasn't exactly... Uh, well, I, I, I don't want to say it wasn't to my taste, because I do think it, it's a great movie and I enjoy watching it. Um, but these kind of bigger action movies it just don't appeal to me in the same way. So, so I give it a, a 4.5, but I definitely think it is like a... You know a great movie and one of the great sequels um but i just i probably still won't go back to it all that often um but that doesn't mean that i don't think it's a, a great movie so, so that's what i got for it <laughs> maybe not great final thoughts i don't know but <laughs> <laughs> that's fine no it's you know we're, we don't usually rate these things like i don't i don't personally care for rating systems me neither uh, I, just, I just give you a recommendation of to watch it or not yeah i feel like in a series like this where we'll kind of have like an end summary of all of his movies what we think is the best maybe it'd be kind of but i'm not writing them down so i can't even compare them at the end i don't even remember like some of my other ones yeah i was thinking about adding them up at the end and be like okay which one did i rate the most which one did i rate the highest but yeah but otherwise yeah i'm not hugely big on ratings either but <laughs> But anyway, I guess, yeah, that wraps up, uh, I guess it's the fourth entry in our, our Cameron series. We're plowing through it 
pretty quick. Well, I mean, we have we have a deadline. There's a deadline. There's a, there's a goal in place, which, I mean, heck, we could like make like we could take some time off with this. Not time. I don't, I'm not saying we will take a time off, but like you know, again, three films left before, you know, Avatar two comes in December. So, I know it yep. seems like it's you know not that long far away since the beginning of October now, but it's it's coming. We saw we saw a scene from it last night. It was great. I'm it it got it gets get me excited. Yeah, we did go see the Avatar re release. Yeah, that's that's true. Which I kinda wish we were doing that one now. Not the saying I want to, but I wish we were doing that one now because my thoughts are still fresh on it. But not anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna rewatch it again before our real discussion. And that'll be good because I've always said that I that Avatar was fantastic on the big screen much less on the small screen so i'm curious to see if that's actually going to hold true when i rewatch it yeah and uh hopefully it'll be on disney plus this time or by the time uh, i rewatch it <laughs> hopefully oh but th- thanks again everybody if you're if you're listening along or watching along with us it's it's a, definitely a different mode for us doing like a build-up series and and also going through someone's career like this i think it's uh it's been a lot of fun so far thank you for listening as usual uh, we appreciate it, and in the words of Terminator himself, I need a vacation. <laughs>